Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It is Friday, October 7th, and this is People Every Day. Hi, everyone. I'm Brianne Helpman, the senior TV editor here at People. Janine is out today and dared to leave me on the mic. I intend to take full advantage and talk about a couple must-see shows for your weekend. Before that, though, the Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen divorce has been everywhere this week, and with new reports of their marital issues going back several years, we're going to take a deep dive into their relationship timeline, hitting everything from their two weddings to when things started to unravel to even rumors of witchcraft. But first, let's see what's making headlines out there. Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, is doubling down on his controversial fashion statement. On Monday, he wore a White Lives Matter shirt during his Yeezy presentation in Paris. Last night, He appeared on Fox News to talk about it on the show hosted by Tucker Carlson. Ye defended his, well, we'll call it a creative choice, saying, quote, I do certain things from a feeling. I just channel the energy. It just feels right. It's using a gut instinct, a connection with God, and just brilliance. The rapper then recounted the reaction of his father, Ray West, an ex-Black Panther, who laughed off the shirt and thought the whole thing was, quote, funny. As it's been stated and covered, both on this show and on our website, the phrase White Lives Matter has been classified by the Anti-Defamation League as a white supremacist phrase that originated in 2015 following the start of the Black Lives Matter movement. All in all, it was a bad look for the Donda artist and fashion designer on Monday, and dragging it out like this is not helpful. Moving on to another music story, the members of Right Said Fred, a band name I haven't said in decades, are calling out Beyonce for allegedly sampling their song, I'm Too Sexy, without prior consent. I'm sure everyone listening has heard their 1991 hit, I'm Too Sexy, dozens of times, dozens make that, quadrillions. It's the song where they rattle off all the things that they are too sexy for. I'm too sexy for my shirt. See, you know it. And you can definitely hear the similarity in the melody and lyric composition in Beyonce's song Alien Superstar. So Fred and Richard Fairbrass, who make up the pop duo, told The Sun, quote, Normally the artist approaches us, but Beyonce didn't because she's such an arrogant person. They said that. They really said that. They further added, quote, to use our melody, they need our permission. So they send us the demo and we approve it. And if so, we get a co-write credit. Well, Beyonce did not take those accusations lightly. A rep for Queen Bee released a statement calling Right Said Fred's comments, quote, erroneous and incredibly disparaging and further stated, quote, Permission was not only granted for its use, but they publicly spoke of their gratitude for being on the album. For their song, there was no sound recording use, only the composition was utilized. 
Beyonce's team then took things even a step further and showed receipts, saying in a statement that they sought permission from the publisher on May 11th of this year, and the publisher granted approval just one month later on June 15th. Then the Halo Singers team followed up by saying that Beyonce's side paid for the song's usage in August and that Wright said Fred is receiving a, quote, substantial copyright percentage for the song as they also have co-writer credit. And Beyonce's team dropped the mic flat out by saying, quote, this accusation is false. Frankly, I wish she just said, I'm too sexy for these accusations. That would have been the perfect comeback. But honestly, I can't imagine why Wright said Fred would even make these claims. Maybe they just didn't know or wanted to get their names in the news again. But to paraphrase Omar from The Wire, if you come at the queen, you best not miss. And now it's time to turn our attention toward the breakup story that no one can get enough of, the crumbling marriage of Tom and Giselle. Unless you've been living under a rock this week, you know that Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen appear to be on the road to divorce. People reported earlier this week that the former Victoria's Secret model hired a divorce attorney, while Tom faced the very sobering reality that his marriage was ending as reports of him, quote, hurting and not wanting to fight with Giselle started to be shared and his charmed life didn't seem so charming anymore. Here to go through the timeline of their relationship and update us on the latest with this couple is People's Executive Editorial Director, Charlotte Triggs. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Brianne. Now, Charlotte, you've been covering Tom and Giselle in some way, shape, or form since 2006, so you've seen a lot of this play out over the years. Take us through the timeline of their relationship and the big moments that impacted them as a couple early on. Okay. All right. You know, it's been a while since we've seen them in like a drama space, but there has been drama throughout their whole relationship. And like, because they're such heavy hitters in their respective industries and also just so rich, there's a ton of interest and fascination. And there always has been, honestly. So 2006, the end of the year is when they first got together. But you may remember that Valentine's Day of 2007, we learned something that everybody was very shocked by and nobody more shocked than Giselle, which was that Bridget Moynihan, his girlfriend that he had only just broken up with a couple months prior, was pregnant with his child. That set off this huge, let's call it a scandal. I mean, it's like not really fair to Bridget that her being pregnant and having a baby should be a scandal, but unfortunately in our society it was, right? And there people, you know, followed them all around everywhere that they went for the whole course of that year. And Bridget, and you know, she had a book later on where she wrote about the fact that like this was like the most miserable time of her life. She had no privacy. She couldn't enjoy anything. People were like stalking her and thought that she was like, you know, tabloid fodder. Early on in that news cycle, there was a report that Giselle was also pregnant. Everybody was ready to like go crazy. I mean, that was, of course, not true. <laughs> it set the stage for their relationship to get a, a really crazy tabloid start. They got married in 2009. You'll probably remember they had two weddings. They had one in California. It was like a very, very, very small Catholic church ceremony in Santa Monica. And then they had a bigger blowout in Costa Rica where she had had this beautiful beach house in a secluded area. In subsequent years, we've seen pictures from that wedding. She actually shared one, bizarrely enough, a few weeks ago to wish her sister a happy birthday, she shared a picture of herself in her wedding gown. Like, and this is like right after everybody had learned that they're fighting. It was, it was a moment. It was a choice. <laughs> she obviously was at the absolute top of her game as a model when they first got together and still worked for a long, long time. But she did relocate to Boston when they were getting serious. And then when they were married and obviously had two kids, Benjamin was the first one, then Vivian. Both her kids are born right around the same time 
And I just think that it's a little coincidental. Both of her kids were born in early December. I, it's it's so bad, but one does observe that that's about nine months after the end of the football season. I guess they must have had a nice celebration <laughs> after successful seasons. Absolutely. And football seems to have kind of ruled their relationship in some ways. So with all that background, let's dive into what's happening this year and the big moments that led to them hiring divorce lawyers. You could have maybe surmised that when he decided to unretire that she might have been mad, but she didn't let on for quite a while. All right. He like retired February 1st and then unretired. I think it was March 13th. We didn't hear anything though for months and months and months. They were actually photographed on vacation this summer making out on a boat in the South of France and like in Italy and all this stuff. According to sources who had seen them in the summer, they were their normal selves and everything seemed fine. He didn't go to practice August 11th. And that was something that made the whole media stop because the sports media is like, what the hell is going on? Is he injured? The entertainment media is like, what's going on? What's happening in his personal life? And they did not really address directly what was going on other than to say that it was personal issues, which is like even for being honest, more tan- bigger red flag. Yeah. And he didn't go to practice for 11 days. This is a guy who's never missed a practice ever in his whole career. So that was when we were like, what's going on here? And then in short order after that, we learned that they had a huge blowout fight and that she fled their Tampa home and was spending time in Costa Rica and other places and was not expected to go to his games. And then lo and behold, the games start. She's not there even when his kids are there. And then October 4th, we learned that she had hired a divorce lawyer. Yeah. So this has been the big bombshell of the week where we learned that, you know, she had a divorce lawyer and has actually been working with the divorce lawyer already for weeks. And we subsequently learned that Tom also has one. A source close to Tom kind of views it as he's playing defense. Like he doesn't want to do this. Giselle is like steering the ship when it comes to like asking for a divorce, it appears. But he has to have someone advocating for for him in all of this. And if this is the route that they're going to go, and if it has to be a divorce, he wants it to be smooth. He wants it to be amicable. I mean, think about it. These people have a ton of money, tons of money. Each of them used to be at the either number one or number two or three on the Forbes list of like richest people in their fields every single year for multiple years. And the, the money we're talking about would be like $35 million in one year. Each of them, they've been married for 13 years. It's a lot of money. Math is hard, but that's a lot of money. (laughs) This is going to be a fascinating divorce. Do we know if they have a prenup? We believe it is likely that they have a prenup. So where do you personally see this going? Like there was a lot of love there. Is she just putting her foot down to make a point? Or do you think this really could be the end? You know, we know that they once came quite close to breaking up Um, right after in the midst of his Deflategate scandal where he was having a really bad year. She, in her memoir, later reflected that that was a really bad year for her too, that she had plastic surgery that she really didn't like. And like they were both in kind of a low point and very nearly called it off. They didn't spend their birthdays together, but they did patch it up. They have a special connection. It's like, you know, a magical connection between them and it was worth patching it back together. That was several years ago. They had great, great mileage subsequent to that. And she was very effusive in the message that she sent him when he retired at the beginning of the year. She really shared a lot of stuff about how they've, you know, poured their heart and soul into supporting him during his career. I do think as much as we've heard that she's bothered by the narrative that football is the reason that she's mad, that's definitely a huge underlying cause here. Okay. I have to ask this question because Tom said it himself a few years ago, is Giselle a witch? What's the deal there? 
This is very funny. So obviously we know people will, who have followed her career know that she's not just any normal person, right? She's got like a body that nobody else has. She's able to like be like working and breastfeeding at the same time. Like normal human beings are not built this way, right? And she's also very into stuff that's like mystical and like healing stones. He said in this interview that he did in 2019 that that she would build him altars going into the season where she would have healing stones and stones that mean different things and things that bring you luck and things that bring you good fortune and pictures of the kids and whatever. She really believes in like the energy and intentionality of stuff and would kind of be able to predict to him whether he was going to have a good season. There was one year that she did predict that he was going to have a bad season, and that was the deflate gate season, that it was like not a good year for him. I'm pretty sure he's joking, but he said that she said, I'm a witch, but I'm a good witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, it is Halloween coming up, so we had to bring that up. Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on and walking through all of this with us. For more stories and breaking news on Tom and Giselle, visit people.com. You know him from songs like Fresh Eyes and Honey, I'm Good. And coming up, Andy Grammer joins the show to talk about how the pandemic led him to prioritize his mental health. We hear how going to therapy changed the triple platinum artist approach to writing music. But first, do you guys remember that Netflix documentary from a few years back, Abducted in Plain Sight? It's a bizarre and stranger than fiction story about how one man essentially abused an entire family and wound up kidnapping their daughter twice. Well, now that daughter is all grown up and is one of the producers behind the scripted series for Peacock that launched this week called A Friend of the Family, which tells the story of how this happened in dramatic detail. Right after the break, we are joined by People's Casey Baker to talk about this series and the unbelievable true story behind it. Stay right there. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the shows I've been most excited about this fall season launched this week on Peacock. It's called A Friend of the Family, and it's the ultimate truth is stranger than fiction story. It stars Anna Paquin, Jake Lacey from White Lotus, and Colin Hanks, and it follows the true crime story of a young girl named Jam Broberg who was kidnapped twice in Idaho in the 70s by a friend in the family. And if this story sounds at all familiar, it's because it was a Netflix documentary in 2017 called Abducted in Plain Sight. It's 
the most wild story. So to help me unravel this wild story is People's Crime, Human Interest, and Climate Crisis writer, Casey Baker. Hey, Casey, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Take us quickly through who the Broberg family is and the connection they had with Robert Birchtold. And also, I know Jan, who is at the center of this story, produced the series. That's right. So Jan spoke to me a little bit ago, and she was telling me that her family was a religious family. They were Mormons. They lived in Idaho in the 1970s. And the way she described them was the perfect all-American family. They had dinner together. They went to church together. And then they met these new neighbors who moved into the neighborhood. And they seemed like such an upstanding family as well. And the dad, his name was Robert Birchtold. And he was a married man with with children. And he was seen as a pillar in his community and an outstanding member of the Mormon church. And he developed this incredible friendship with the family and became so close to them, they considered him a member of the family. So then eventually he kidnaps her when she was 12 years old and drugged her and they drove down to Mexico. And that ordeal then lasted about five weeks. How closely does this series match the actual events that occurred? Because I think anyone who hasn't watched this documentary is going to have their mind blown and not believe every twist and turn that happens with this story. What Jan was telling me is that she made sure that this script stuck really close to what actually happened. So this is a very true account of how he befriended the family, groomed the family, slithered his way into their lives. They adored him. And then one day he says, oh, I'm going to take Jan horseback riding. And lo and behold, He kidnaps her, takes her in an RV to Mexico, and she's a kid, so he's told her that aliens had kidnapped her. And it's really a surreal nightmare that you can't even believe happened, but guess what? It happened. It happened, and you can watch the scripted version on Peacock, streaming now. Casey, thank you so much for coming on and shedding light on this story. Thank you. Before Janine left for her girls' weekend in Vegas, she sat down with our next guest, the incredibly talented Andy Grammer. Let's take a listen. World Mental Health Day is Monday, October 10th, and with it being New Music Friday here at People Every Day, I cannot think of a better guest to combine the two for today's show. Andy Grammer has been very open about his struggles with his own mental health coming out of the pandemic. He has found solace in writing music in his wife, Asia, and his daughters, Louie and Izzy, and now in therapy. Andy believes we should all be working on ourselves, and I tend to agree. Here with us now is Sam singer and songwriter, Andy Grammer. Andy, welcome to the show. Oh man, it's lovely to be here with you. Well, like I said, you're not shy about how COVID affected you mentally. So what was the biggest battle you had to overcome? And when did you realize you needed to seek help? I don't know how your pandemic was. Mine was not good. In in hindsight, it, it became something that I'm grateful for. But I think for a lot of us, it just like really showed us where we get our self-worth from. So if you got all your self-worth from others or from work or not from yourself, the place that it should be coming from, 
and the pandemic was really, really tough. It just got to a place where I had to make it a priority in my life to make sure that everything up inside my head was was working out well and that I had some self-love and some self-knowledge. And therapy helped me a lot with that. What do you think was that thing that got stripped away for you that really brought you to that breaking point? It was kind of all of it, you know, like all touring went down. So there was no way to go do the thing that I love. It made me really dive into joy. I'm by nature, a pretty happy guy. And I write music about this all the time. And so I found a definition of joy that was gladness, not based on circumstance. And I think when I read that quote, I was like, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't, I definitely don't have that because I need a lot of the circumstances in my life to be exactly right for me to be really happy. So that was kind of a cool self-learning moment of like, well, I got to figure out how to get this from myself. So the music you've been putting out seems to reflect how you've been feeling and, and where you want to be. So can you share with me how your mental health journey has affected your writing and why perhaps the messaging to your fans is more raw? Yeah. There's a song called Love Myself, which I wrote after a Zoom therapy session where my therapist was like, it sounds like you're getting too much of your self-worth from things outside of yourself. And so you should be working on developing it in you. And I went and sat at the piano and wrote myself a love song, which was so awkward. But I think people are enjoying it. My latest one that just came out, a song called Save My Life, is really just in honor of my godmother, who has really shown up for me when I was really low. You know, I lost my mom at 25 and she she's been someone who's just been a real deep friend and rock for me. And so while I've been kind of in a low period, I've been looking back at my life going like, oh, man, who else has really helped me get through this stuff? There's been a, a lot of people online sharing that song with like mental health stuff going like, man, I was going through this. This person stayed by my side when I was going through depression. This person helped me get through a disease. This person helped me get through this. They saved my life. It's been sweet. Now, I feel like people would look at you and your social media and your life and be like, I mean, what's he talking about? He has it all. But I bet there are a lot of people who feel they need to be that happy person more for others, you know, than they do for themselves, even if they're not truly feeling that way inside. So so what do you have to say to someone who may be struggling, like the happy-go-lucky friend? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that I feel so compelled to share my experience is because I, I hope that maybe someone who feels like they occupy that space in the friend group, the uplifting one, the one who has it all figured out, no one does. To say that like the happy guy was pretty depressed maybe gives permission to other people. That's my hope. It's been really hard. It's been exceptionally hard the last couple of years. So if you are feeling unreasonably low, like don't be afraid to get some help around it. And lastly, on this, what is the one thing you would like your fans to take away from your story? A little tidbit that I found recently, I was reading a book by the Surgeon General. It's called Together, he wrote it. His name is Vivek Murthy. And he talks about, it's a whole book on loneliness, which I think has a lot to do with mental health. And one thing that I found really interesting was that being alone can either be you feel like you're missing out on something, or on your terms, it can be solitude which is like really powerful and important and healthy. And a lot of it is how you're viewing it and what you're doing with your time. 
when you're alone. So learning how to be okay with ourselves when we are alone is actually a big piece of all this. I love it. Andy, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And guys, for more on Andy's story, make sure to head over to people.com. Well, last but not least, I thought I'd end the show on something that made me smile this week, and that is Grey's Anatomy. It's not only back, but it feels almost brand new. The first episode of season 19 was called Everything Has Changed, and boy, has it. Ellen Pompeo's Meredith Grey is only set to appear in eight episodes this season, but fans are treated to a brand new class of interns played by a lot of recognizable faces, and they're going to fall in love with them. Showrunner Krista Vernoff recently told The Wrap, when the question came up of like, okay, what's next? What now? It felt like, let's get back to the roots of the show. If we're going to have less Ellen, and we knew that we were, what is the thing? And the thing is, we've watched Meredith Grey and her class grow up from baby surgeons to Catherine Fox award-winning chiefs of surgery. So the next thing is to start again. This stable of new characters now features actors with some staying power, and some of them mirror some of the best from the history of the show. Take Nico Turho, for example, who plays Lucas. Near the end of the episode, and spoilers if you haven't watched yet, as Lucas scrubs in for surgery, he says the iconic line, It's a beautiful day to save lives. And we learn that he is in fact the favorite nephew of Derek Shepard. I can't say enough good things about this new look on Grey's. It has moments that echo part of the original pilot while feeling fresh and new. And really, you guys, it has everything that fans have come to love about the show. Plus, if you're someone who, like many, fell off a few years ago, now might be a fun time to jump back in. Well, thank you all for listening today. I had so much fun being with you. Enjoy your weekend. And Janine will be back with you on Monday for a brand new week of People Every Day. People Every Day is produced by Chrissy Lindquist, Tony Mantia, Amy Machado, and Madison Lesby. Edited by Morgan Foose, Carter Wogan, and Michael Aquino. And made with help from Patrick Vermillion and the great team at Pod People. People's producers are me, Janine Rubenstein, and Charlotte Triggs. Our show is associate produced by Eliza Sessler and Fallon Harge, and executive produced by David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. 